you know, so um, much of the past, basically what, four or five years have been just transitional for me, you know, confrontational, transitional, rehabilitational. So a lot of my moves have been, you know, like this, whereas, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to see Africa with the proper time, the proper production, you know, just the proper situation so that when I'm there, representationally, what people get to see is what they should see. I'm Crystal Roberts. I'm Matt Linder. This is Flickers. Unreleased, what you haven't heard. Hi, everyone. This episode will be different as you'll hear from Crystal and I as we process our thoughts on the season and what we learn from the contributors to the podcast because we learn so much. And then in part two of our conversation, we're also each going to share three bars from Lauren's unreleased material that have impacted us personally. Our hope is that it will pique your interest in exploring our music post-miseducation and unplug. So let's get to it. So Matt, when we talked about all of the contributors, we sort of broke it down into like three sections. Like what was the most surprising moment contributions that we personally appreciated a lot. And then just the contributor that we just really loved. So I figured, you know, you can kick it off and, you know, tell me what you think. Yeah, so this might seem weird, but I think the surprising thing for me was with Kone and Raven in the first episode. (laughs) And they talked about the impact of Lauren's look Mm. for them. As black woman, because I'd never thought of Lauren from that angle at all. You know, I just thought of her music and the speeches and interviews that she'd given. And I hadn't really have thought like the way she presented herself and carried herself uh, in her look and how much of impact that had on black women in the 90s because no one really look like her <laughs> right. in that time period. That was yeah. so mainstream, so out there. It just really opened my mind a lot. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even consider that or think of that. And that's why I'm so appreciative of having them on the podcast so they can provide that insight to all our listeners. There's lots of listeners probably nodding in agreements, you know? Right. right. But a lot of listeners that are like me that are like white dudes who are big hip-hop heads. For sure. Know, like, mm-hmm. that's probably as surprising to, to them as it was to me. And it just how amazing that even in that sense of the way she was presenting herself to the world was also revolutionary. No, that's good. So for me, it, it was Femi in episode mm. five. And I think it's because I spent so much time with Unplugged when he... Um, went song by song and sort of broke down how the entire Unplugged album 
was basically the the biblical narrative. Yeah. You know, I wrote about this album, so I understood all of the biblical right. language <laughs> and themes, yeah. but I hadn't necessarily saw the connective thread, you know, that story of man, that story of Lauren, that story of humanity. And him putting it all together was like a huge aha moment for me. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it was surprising, of course, but it sort of opened my mind up too. And I was really, really appreciative of that. That was probably be my second most surprising thing too. Because I, <laughs> I had right. I'd studied the album a lot too and hadn't even seen that aspect mm-hmm. of it. So what's a contribution that you really appreciate a lot? So it had to be... Cheryl Kirk Dugan. You know, I tend to like lean into people who sort of connect dots for me. (laughs) And she (laughs) did that um, when she talked about um, the connection between love, freedom and justice. Basically noting that you cannot have one without the other. Mm. Right. And it's sort of this, you know, triangulation, so to speak, (laughs) of those three things. And I had never thought of that, of course. But as she explained it through the context of what she had picked up in analyzing Lauren's music, it was totally clear. And then I just thought about it in a real life setting. Like, have you ever seen a person that does not have freedom be have overwhelming love? Mm. It's just never, you know, you don't see that, right? You don't don't see justice, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) with a bunch of hate. It just doesn't work Mm. that way. I saw those three as one. And I was like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I need to write on this. It was, it was, man, I appreciated that a ton. Yeah, that was, yeah, so cool. I think it was like the thing that we like gravitated towards as we were putting this episode together was the way that she just framed as those as interrelated things in Lauren's music. Yeah. So what about you? You know, what what was it that you appreciated? Yeah, I really appreciated Eric House and breaking down X Factor. Oh. That, oh my gosh. So the musicologist in me that just spoke to me so much because <laughs> he talks so much about the relationship between the lyrics and the music and how the music bolstered the lyrics and reflected the lyrics. And the way he just went through that and broke it down was just Mm. Ah, amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was just chewing it up, eating it all up when I recorded that with him. And I was like, oh my gosh. He's like, well, do you have anything else to ask me after he said all that? I was like, no, that was amazing. (laughs) Like wasn't even expecting that. He's like, well, I don't know, you know, all the music terms that well and stuff. But oh my gosh, you like give this incredible breakdown of the song. (laughs) And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. So the contributor that I loved was Raven Jones. First mm. and foremost, it was her passion and just her sincerity in speaking, not just about Lauren, but just the opportunity to speak about something that was meaningful to her, number one. Mm. That was the first yes. thing, right? Mm. I really appreciated her story about when she first, I guess it was her and her cousin or her and a friend or someone where they got in the car and yeah. they went to buy the miseducation and kind of talking about that experience. And while I didn't have that experience, I've talked to other people who have. 
Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, that was a real thing. And so her sharing that and sharing it in the way she did, I just loved her energy. And then lastly, I enjoy brief discussion on Lauren as a teacher. And I think she was able to appreciate that and connect that, connect with that when it comes to Lauren, because she herself is in education. And right. so I began, it made me start to think about Lauren as teacher. And when I did think about it a little more, I realized like, yeah, for me as a listener, as someone who handled her lyrics as, you know, literature in a lot of ways, I learned a ton. Mm. I learned a lot, you know, spiritually. Obviously, I learned a lot, but I learned a lot about what Lauren sometimes calls reality versus unreality. Mm. You know what I mean? Mask, having a mask versus not having a mask. And it really taught me a lot about like being my real and authentic self, presenting that idea to me. So, you know, uh, Raven, you know, really kind of just while I enjoyed everything, she also made me think a little bit deeper about Lauren as, as an educator and as teacher. That's so awesome. Yeah. So the person I really loved was Cheryl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. She was so fun to interview for this. And she brought so many fire takes <laughs> throughout the things. Yeah. Like we only like give a portion of what she said in the interview with me throughout this podcast. And there's so much more. And she was so, I mean, she's just, oh my gosh, she's such an incredible scholar. <laughs> like, yes. And she's, she's published so many books and she's involved in so many things in life. She was just amazing to talk to. And she's also like an ordained minister besides being a professor. And yeah, she was just so knowledgeable, just had incredible ways of connecting things with Lauren. Mm-hmm. And she was also just so incredibly kind. <laughs> Let's be honest. She's smart. Oh my gosh. Yes. She's so smart. <laughs> yes. Like I've been to like lots of academic conferences like in my past when I was in college and some afterwards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And But she is like probably the most in, intelligent scholar I've ever spoken to. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know? Yes. <laughs> but at, at the same time, she was like so laid back and personable. <laughs> I've tried talking to other scholars at conferences and it's, it's rough. <laughs> it's hard to like have a real conversation and have fun and like, hey, isn't this cool? We're here talking about this thing we love all together. Right. And they're like, let's be very serious. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> right. Okay, well, this conversation not going to go very well. But she was <laughs> not like that. She's just, ah. Uh. Anyways, Cheryl mm. was great. Yeah. I just loved all the stuff she contributed and like just having a conversation with her outside of the recording of the interview was just also great too. Awesome. So let's shift our attention to the three lines from Lauren's unreleased material. I thought it'd be a great idea if we just kind of, you know, went back and forth a little bit. I don't know what lines you, you're about to unleash nope. on me and you don't know mine. So, nope. you know, I thought that'd make it super interesting since 
I tell you what, you go ahead and, and get started. I'm going to start with Black Rage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And it's the lines that uh, open up the song. Black Rage is founded on two-thirds a person. Rapings and beatings and suffering that worsens. Black human packages tied up in strings. Black rage can come from all of these kinds of things. Black rage is founded on two-thirds a person. Rapings and beatings and suffering and worsens. Black human packages tied up in strings. Black rage can come from all these kinds of things. So the song was released after... Michael Brown was shot and came out during the time of the uprising in Ferguson in response to the officer getting acquitted for Michael Brown's death. Mm-hmm. And how she takes an old classic song of favorite things <laughs> and makes it about injustice and the anger at injustice is amazing just musically how she fits these lyrics into that melody. Then she takes like the images because favorite things is like so often played during Christmas time and the image of packages tied up in string and how she Mm. flips that. Wow. To be about, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, to be about, uh, to be about lynchings. I remember the first time I heard this song and then heard that line, I was just like gutted, just gutted to the core, haunted. And oh my gosh, how she took this song about like mass consumerism and (laughs) and turned it to be a song about injustice and fighting injustice and about the rapings and the beatings and suffering and the lynchings and a short amount of words, you have this whole picture and this whole feeling and I feel that rage too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I had no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea, particularly the packages tied up in strings. I just, wow. I had no idea. That's powerful. That's yeah. Powerful. Very powerful. Mm. Yeah. So what about you? What's your, what's your first one? So my first one is from Social Drugs. I think this came out it might have even been the same year that Unplugged came out, but if not, it at least was within a couple of years. Um, but the line is, we're told to camouflage regret in a religious structure, tells us God wants us to suffer to support a situation we all know is obligation. Really are, you're taught to camouflage regret in a religious structure. Tells us God wants us to suffer to support a situation we all know is obligation. You know, a, a line like that stuck with me because, you know, sometimes you hear things when you're in a place in life where it's just meaningful. But I always thought it was very meaningful because you know, she's always talking about these systems. And in that line, you know, she's identifying this system of religion that is essentially telling us to pretend. Pretend like nothing is going on. Pretend like we're having an authentic experience and an authentic faith when we're not. And to justify it, you're saying God wants us to suffer, Mm. right? This is the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) 
And so for a person who was hearing that line when all those years ago, I was experiencing that situation and this idea of camouflaging regret. You know what I mean? We're going to act like everything is okay. And that for me caused trauma. (laughs) And I know it caused trauma for others. You know what I mean? And that's just not how, you know, we would think a system built on what it, what it says it's built on would ever be like, Mm. so. Yeah. Those lines also make me think of like all the abuse that happens at churches Mm -hmm. and how there's been kind of like a great revealing, like kind of in conjunction with the Me Too movement, there's been a church too movement too that has exposed a lot of the sexual abuse and assault that has Mm -hmm. happened in various churches and denominations. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things that we're pretending about, you know, mm-hmm. pretending that aren't happening. A lot yeah. of things. Yeah. So for my second one comes from consumerism. Mm. <laughs> and the line is ugly human, ugly shame. Corporate greed in Jesus' name. See, people need to villainize to offset this thing for their lives. Ugly human, ugly shame, corporate greed in Jesus' name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this has been so, like, especially when it comes to, like, politics in the U.S., like, this has been so much of, like, the experience in our country just... I mean, I wasn't aware of it when I was a kid in the 80s, but just reading back on it and watching back on it with like President Reagan and all the fucked up (laughs) policies and how he just like came across like, oh, about religious and and how we've seen that pattern continue to repeat over and over again in politics of like co-opting religion and using that to like fund all this corporate greed like out of one side of the mouth saying, they'll say our country is a Christian nation, Britain built on Judeo Christian values. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so why aren't you like helping the oppressed and the poor and the widows in the ways mm-hmm. that they can be taken care of? Well, they really don't believe that. <laughs> but <laughs> right. they just spout all that stuff at the same time, helping all these systems of oppression to stay in place, all these corporate interests to continue to need like tons and tons of money while people are still poor and living in poverty. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just really appreciated that line because it, it just was like all these different images come up in my mind of people. And even that's on a huge big level. But then even like I see like on the micro level of folks at churches who get into like these multi-level marketing things Mm. and like, oh, I'm going to use the people at my church to get involved in this multi-level marketing so I can get lots of greed for myself. I'd say this is, I'm selling essential oils, but I'm doing it for Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Essential oils for Jesus. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I've seen like that stuff, people branding it that way. It goes up at the very macro level, like we see that, but then we also see a very small level like that too. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because I literally chose the same line from consumerism. Really? No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only awesome. difference, right. The only difference is that I added the line 
that came right before it, which was see people need to villainize to offset the disdain for their lives, ugly shame, corporate greed in Jesus' name. Mm. <laughs> and basically it's everything you just said, you know what I mean? And I guess I'll just, I'll just focus on that first part, which is, you know, you have these entities, those who reside over these systems, and they, it's a game of distraction and projection, or they, they're villainizing some group, some party, to offset the stuff they're actually doing in their lives, the things they're doing in the lives of others, right? And I think in Lauren talking about it this way, she's sort of highlighting maybe the ugly human behavior that's underneath that villainizing of others. And then the the part about the corporate greed in Jesus' name, that I could have just chosen that alone, right? Because (laughs) (laughs) that alone, because, you know, we have in God we trust on our, you know, our money. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's so much contradiction, but, you know, to even, it happens obviously here in the United States, but just on a global level, we watch and, we, and they've done it for decades, pillaging the resources of other lands <laughs> and giving them Jesus. While they take the resources, this is all for corporate gain. They're greed, mm-hmm. you know? So that line was very powerful to me because it kind of got to the human condition of what's really underneath that, the ugliness, as she called it. Um, and then that conflict between what should be authentic faith and really just downright greed and the willingness to exploit one for the other. It's just, it's interesting because everything Jesus stood for, everything he preached about was to help the needy, right? The oppressed, to free the oppressed, you know, right. to give life abundantly. Right. And you're going to take that guy in his message. <laughs> like that guy, that's the guy you're going to take. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the, the one you call God and then do what you do. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. All right. So lastly, I pulled from Guarding the Gates. And it's a line near the beginning of the song where she says, trying to fix myself for society, trying to mix myself for society. But can you tell me where is love in anxiety? Trying to fix myself Trying to mix myself for society But can you tell me where is love and anxiety? Can you tell me where is love and anxiety? What you say to me? I feel behind so much, personally. <laughs> right. I feel like I'm always second-guessing myself and questioning myself as I relate to the world and as I relate to people around me, like with my family, friends. I always question and things I've said or done or I replay things that went wrong in my head days, weeks, months, years later. And so I'm like always just in a state of like trying to fix things. Also trying to reimagine how I can be as a person, which comes harder (laughs) for me. Because it's so easy for myself to get stuck in the past and 
not think of like, okay, how can I work on those things for a better me in the future? A lot of times lacking that love for myself and seeing that I am loved by God and by others. And so really see, lacking that, that vision of seeing that love that's out there in the world for me and coming from God for me really, really adds to the anxiety that I already have in my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a daily type of struggle where I need to just find where's that love at? It's there. I'm just don't have, I'm not, I'm not seeing it currently. And because I'm not seeing it or recognizing it at the time, it then I just lose my way. And that's where it just like feeds into my stress of going through life. Hmm. So what about you, On What's your last one? I've, I got stuck a little bit on love. Where is love in, in, in anxiety? That's, that, I don't know. That's just a powerful line. I'm sorry. I got stuck on it a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, man. Um, my last song is Black Rage. And it is the part where she says, victims of violence, both psyche and body, life out of context is living ungodly. So the way that landed with me is, is sort of twofold. As a Black woman, I know the experience of violence via psyche and body, whether we're talking about history, the history of my ancestors, mm-hmm. or whether we're talking about something as simple as being bombarded with videos of police brutality. <laughs> Yeah. or seeing some sort of abuse while it is hurtful to the person that it's being inflicted upon it damages the psyche of those of us who watch it and have a history <laughs> that have a history of seeing these sorts of things even movies that depict this type of violence and as a black woman being able to identify to those victims All I can think about is the state of fear, desperation, and trauma that one must be in, right? If Uh you're kind of enduring that. Right. And so in that state, you are out of context because there is no fear. There should not be any fear or trauma when you're living godly. We're not talking about morals here. We're simply talking about life when you're living it abundantly, when you have peace, you have happiness, you have safety, you know what I mean? And so the victim is living life out of context Mm. because he's not living the life that God intended for him or her. Mm. And then on the other side of that, the one that is inflicting violence, well, they're inflicting violence, which tells us that they are living life out of context. Right. Because right. they should, they wouldn't, God would not have them live a life where they are a victimizer. And so it was that piece about life out of context. And it kind of, it just, I was like, that is, 
such a powerful, mm. you know what I mean, thing. Like, what is life in context? Well, it is a life where there is a strong and genuine and sincere connection with God and you are experiencing all of the fruits of the spirit that is available to us in this mm. life. Right. Right. And so I chose that for that reason because I identified so strongly and I thought it's a message for everybody, whether you are victimizer or you are victim. Yeah. I just think that's such a good point because in the gospels, Jesus continually says he, you know, came to free the oppressed and mm-hmm. he came for those who are sick. And, but at the same time, he's always pushing on the Pharisees for their own good too. He's saying, okay, you guys are doing things that are beyond God's law and putting more on people yes. than what even God is requiring and it's oppressing them. And I'm pushing you in those areas so that you can see that, so that you give up that oppression and give up that harm of others can often be like the radical thing about the gospel is that, I mean, it very much, God's land is always towards the oppressed for sure. Mm -hmm. But the oppressors in their oppressing of others, they also too are oppressed because Mm -hmm. they're holding on to that power as their own God and as their own satisfaction in life. Yes. And they need to get free of that so that they don't need that, so that then they can actually love God and they can actually love others by no longer participating in oppression of others. So yeah, it's a hard message, but it's like, as Lauren said, it's like, get free. Yeah. Everyone needs to get free. We are all victims of these systems in one way or another. We're either the participants in it or were the receivers of it and neither is good neither is true or beautiful at all and you need to get free get free of it all yeah you know get out yeah, <laughs> get, get out, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly you know? absolutely Flickers is produced, edited, and scripted by me, Crystal Roberts, and me, Matt Linder. Engineering, mixing, and sound design by Matt Linder. Theme music by Julius Tunstall. Cover art by Paperhead Prayers. Additional music from Yawns. If you're on Hark, listen to our Hark lists of our favorite moments from this season and share it on social media. Tag at the Flickers pod when you share. What unreleased track of Lauren's do you absolutely love? Tell us in a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. All my time has been focused on my freedom now. Why would I join them when I know that I could beat them now? They put their words on me and they can eat them now. That's probably why they keep on telling me I'm needed now. They tried to box me out while taking what they want from me. I spent too many years living too uncomfortably. 
making room for people who didn't like the labor but wanted the spoils greedy selfish behavior now let me give it to you balanced and with clarity i don't need to turn myself into a parody i don't i don't do the shit you do for popularity they clearly didn't understand when i said i get out apparently my awareness like keanu in the matrix i'm saving souls and y'all complaining about my lateness now it's illegal for someone to walk in greatness they want the same they want the same but they don't take risks now the world will get to see its own reflection and the anointed can pursue their own direction and if you're wrong and you're too proud to hear correction walk into the hole you dug yourself fuck a projection see me in my freedom taking all my land back they said a lot against me thinking i just stand back i got my legs beneath me i got my hands back a lot of people sabotage they couldn't stand that i turned the other cheek i took blow after blow there's so much crisis in the world because you reap what you sow when you keep what you know is meant for someone else did you dig for them you might just end up in yourself i'm in the secret place i keep a sacred space they keep showing their hands but keep hiding their face if i'm a messenger you block me then you block the message so aggressive the world you made is what you're left with pride and ego over love and truth is fuck reckless y'all niggas got a death wish the stupid leaves me breathless